Well, good morning. My name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're in this series around our values, and that's kind of multi-purposed. One is, it's probably not news to you, unless this is your first Sunday here with us, that Pastor Charles is going to be retiring slash repurposing whatever terminology he chooses to use for the particular day, and uh, is going to be moving back south into the deep south with his dear wife, Cheryl, to Mississippi, and they're going to enjoy, certainly enjoy that. But we wanted to make it, make us aware that just because Pastor Charles is leaving doesn't mean the church is changing. We are who we are. We're committed to the vision and the mission that God, we believe, has placed on us as a, as a particular community. And because of that, we wanted to reflect that to our people, just to, re- to remind you that this is who we are. We're not going anywhere. We're not changing directions. We believe in what God has called us to. And then secondly, because we have a lot of people in our church that are new who have been coming recently, who have been taking membership class or going to newcomers' lunches. And we wanted to express this is who we are to give you the best possible way to be, have an informed decision to say, ah, yes, I can agree with the vision, mission, values of this particular community. And yes, like we're, we're a Christian church. We are about Jesus. But there are things that make us uniquely different than every other church in our city. And there are things that make every other church in our city uniquely different than us. And so we wanted to kind of set this up and let us know this is who we are. So these are our values, kind of the, the five things that make up our, our DNA, as it were. If, if you were to come to West Park, we would hope that these are the types of things that you would experience. That yes, you would experience God and all the things that he has done for us in Christ, but you would see these, these values being played out in the life of each and every one of our members and believers. That we are people of active faith, that we are committed to servant leadership, that we are culturally diverse, as Pastor Neil led us through last week. That we're committed to the next generation of Christians, not just to, to have them here, but to empower them to lead. And that we're committed to God's mission in the world, being Jesus' hands and feet of love to uh, a world that desperately needs it. But we also have uh, what we call our, our mission statement. And I'm not going to put it on the screen because I generally would put it on the screen and then I'd ask you, what is it? And then you'd say it and it wouldn't be impressive because you'd already seen it. But I'm gonna, let's, let's go through our mission statement. For those of you who call West Park your home, you should know this. It's on all of our branding stuff. Should not be a surprise. So I'm going to start us off. It starts with everyday Okay, we did not do that in the kind of rhythm that a musician was hoping for. So let's do that again. We are everyday people on a journey together pursuing Christ. Yes, we are everyday people. We are just regular folks who are doing community together in the purpose of following after Jesus. That's the whole point. So we are going to continue on in our series. Last week, Pastor Neil took us through cultural diversity. and, And I hope that you really do appreciate how diverse we are as a community. It's, it's wildly engaging and amazing and very complicated and beautiful what God has established here. So these are our values. That is our mission. And the one that we're going to be focusing on today is leadership. Good quality for, for good leaders is that they're strong in conviction, that they're trustworthy, that they're faithful, that they're disciplined and focused, that they're purposeful, that they're humble, determined that they're honest. Here's some bad qualities. They're selfish. That was, that was mentioned. They're anxious. They, they kind of bring anxiety into the room a little bit. Uh, they're lazy or fearful. They're unmotivated. They're dishonest. They're proud or arrogant, and they're self-seeking. Now, 
These are the kinds of qualities that we generally judge somebody on if they are in a position of leadership, right? Whether it's somebody who's in government, somebody who's a, a sports coach, uh, somebody who may be a pastor, somebody who's a, a boss at your job. But we want to be committed to this idea, servant leadership, not just the idea of leadership and having a position or having some sort of uh, particular uh, basis or, or pedestal that we place somebody on, but what does it actually look like to be a servant leader? Because we want to have, our value is that we want to help to develop healthy servant leaders. And it's actually very important that we put that qualifier of servant in first because all leadership should be servant leadership. We know what it's like when we see degrading or demeaning or domineering leadership over people and over situations. It's, it leads to oppression, it leads to difficulty, it leads to a lot of people suffering. And so we don't want to do that. What we want to see is, as a church, how do we promote and how do we engage people to help them grow as healthy servant leaders? So here's the big idea today. Servant leadership is turning power and influence upside down. That's exactly what Jesus did, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to be jumping around from a few different passages this morning in Scripture. So I hope that you've, you, can, you can finger through your Bible quickly and kind of get to different places. But um, I wanted us to kind of have this as an, as an idea, firstly, so that we can see the thread that Jesus actually promotes for what healthy servant leadership looks like. And we're going to be looking at three different areas. These kind of characteristics of servant leaders is actually exactly what Peter lays out for us in, the, in the, the first epistle that he wrote in 1 Peter 5. It says this, I exhort the elders or the leaders among you as a fellow elder, that's Peter speaking, and the witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. This is your job. Leaders, this is your job. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be kind of outlandish for anybody. As, as Christians, as people who are following pastors, as we together follow Jesus, that's kind of the goal, right? Shepherd the flock. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you do it. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's kind of the biblical mandate that Peter, the apostle, gives to other pastors as they would go and lead other people in this kind of servant leadership mentality. Now, in my life, I have had the exceptional privilege of having incredible leaders over me. At the church that I was saved in and, uh, was in and did life in for a long time, the pastor that I had was, is still there. He's been there for 33 years, consistently following Jesus, preaching the gospel faithfully, being an example to the flock. And so I've had really excellent mentors and people over my life. We've had Charles and Cheryl for an insanely fruitful and wonderful decade. They have led us so well. He has led us with integrity and grace, a lot of humility, and a significant amount of really questionable humor. <laughs> but he has. He has led us very, very, very well. So it's, it's hard for me to even kind of recognize at times what bad leadership looks like because I've seen good leadership so often. I realize that that's not the case for everybody. So as we go into this, we need to understand that this is actually the goal. That leaders, as we develop healthy servant leaders, this is what we intend to look like. We intend to look like people who follow Jesus well and who do so to serve other people with their best interests in mind. So as, as we kind of get to this idea of leadership, I picked through a couple of my different, uh, my favorite leadership authors and uh, got a few quotes that I think will be helpful to kind of set us up. 
Nick Chelson says, being a leader means helping those in your circle of influence. That makes sense. You're supposed to help folks. John Maxwell, kind of like the, the, the Christian guru of leadership, says, leadership is not about titles. It's not about positions. It's not about flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. He also says, a leader is the one who knows the way, who goes the way, and who shows the way. And then his most famous leadership quote is, everything rises and falls on leadership. And it's true. You can't know where you're going unless the leader who's taking you there is already kind of on the path and focusing that way. So today we're going to focus our attentions on the best of servant leaders, King Jesus, because why else would we be here? And as we do so, I want to help us understand that this is our heart's desire for everybody who is in levels of ministry and leadership here. Whether you are serving at the, uh, at the front doors as an usher or a greeter like our friend Nick, uh, Nick Dykstra does so faithfully and so well. If you're, if you're not sure who I'm talking about, is the guy who smiled at you and came outside to ensure that you got in the building safely. It's a wonderful, wonderful example of, of what it looks like to serve people well. So here's the first idea. We're going to look at the model of Jesus. And this is in your notes, so you can kind of follow along and, and write down in, the, in those parts. And the model of Jesus is humility. That servant leadership starts with a focus on Jesus' humility. It can't start any other way. If we try and, if we try and uh, situate ourselves under a different sort of model, then servant leadership actually isn't going to happen. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes this masterful poem as he expresses who Jesus is and what he has done as it relates to his humility. It's called the Kenosis Passage. It's very famous. For those of you who have been in church for a long time, you've probably had this memorized at some vacation Bible school or something. In Philippians 2, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, there's any comfort in love, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind of Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form God, empty, did not uh, count equality with God something to be grasped or hanged on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. By being uh, born in human likeness and by being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So we're, we're going to focus on these couple of verses because this is what the mind of Christ that we're actually supposed to replicate. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Now this word conceit is actually uh, self-seeking or glory-seeking. It's this idea of like, I'm the most important person in the room, and so you're here to serve all of my needs and all of my wants. Jesus did the complete opposite of that. He says, but in humility, come under and count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, it's a very famous quote, but it's this idea that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's attributed to C.S. Lewis, whether that's actually who said it or not first, we, we're unsure. But that's the idea, right? We often think of humility as being self-deprecating or falsely humble or falsely modest. Of, of you, can't take a, you can't take any kind of uh, confidence building. You can't take encouragement. You're always very quick to kind of pass the encouragement off somewhere else and redirect it. But inside you're like, I really kind of need this. I'm fed by this sort of idea. 
It's that kind of glory-seeking idea. But humility is actually coming underneath somebody else in order to raise them up. It's, it, you ever seen like a, in cheerleading, you see the, the pyramid idea where the people have to stay on the bottom. If you had one person on the bottom and then tried to build it as a V, it's not going to work, right? Because you need to come underneath and build it up from the bottom. And that's the idea of humility. Place yourself lower than so that you can lift others up. Let us not look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this idea is that Jesus does this masterfully. He also does it as the only person who shouldn't have to do it. Because if he's God, who takes on human flesh, he can come and he can sit on the throne and go, yeah, everybody should serve me because I'm God. He has every right to do so. That's also not God's attitude. While he deserves the glory, while he is, he is manifestly powerful in every possible way, the person of Jesus comes not to take glory for himself, but to humbly give away authority. It's the complete opposite of what leadership typically looks like in our world. John Stott says, the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but is love. It's not force, but example. It's not coercion, but it's reason and persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. Jesus made this absolutely plain. The chief characteristic of Christian leaders, he insisted, is humility, not authority, and gentleness, not power. Because we know those leaders who are really self-absorbed, who think of themselves as greater than they are because maybe they have uh, their, their promotional level ahead, right? And they kind of like to flaunt the fact that they're more impressive or that they're, that they're more significant than maybe they really are. And I'm not trying to belittle those people. They just have a misunderstanding of what leadership is. Because Jesus' model of leadership is humility. That's what we have to then fall under. Now, this quote, read it to yourself because I think it's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. Humility is so shy that if you begin talking about it, it leaves. I remember uh, watching a video series a long time ago uh, when I was in college of a couple pastors and he was, he was describing an, um, a mentoring relationship that this younger pastor had with a senior pastor, a guy who'd been in ministry for a long time. And the younger pastor was sitting there and he was saying, my people aren't listening to me. They're not, they're not following my example. They're not taking my, my insights. They're not taking my, uh, my opinion seriously. I'm trying to lead them this direction. I'm trying to do this and nobody's following it, blah, blah, blah. And, and the, senior, the senior pastor, the older guy, he looked at me and said, I think I know what your problem is. You're not very humble. And then the, the younger pastor went, oh yes, I am humble because I'm, I'm serving in this way and I'm doing this and, and sometimes I make sure that I, and he goes, well, I think you're missing the point. You're defending your humility. And by doing so, you're actually defending your pride, which is the problem. See, humility is so shy that if we actually begin talking about it, if, if you have to defend how humble you are, you're not humble, right? And Jesus never, never defends himself. He never defends himself. You see all the way through scriptures, Jesus, people have opinions and Jesus says, okay. He knows who he is. He's willing to come under others and serve them for their own benefit. So that's, that's the model of Jesus. The model of Jesus is humility. Now this is the method of Jesus. Secondly, the method of Jesus, which is service. Servant leadership is fostered by engaging in Jesus's method. We have to be focused not on just how Jesus presents himself and what he does to create lasting, healthy servant leaders, we actually have to do what he did. Jesus' method being service is, is this idea of the upside-down leader. It's the putting others first. 
Uh, John Maxwell says this, a successful person finds the right place for himself. That's a successful person. But a successful leader finds the right place for others. And that's what Jesus does. And this is oftentimes where so many leaders will fall and they'll kind of falter. They, don't, they know Jesus' model, but they don't necessarily practice Jesus' method. It's having an attitude like Jesus is one thing and to say like, yes, Jesus is humble and he serves people and that's amazing and we're going to follow that, but I'm actually going to do the complete opposite is kind of missing the point. You have to do what we say that we believe. Now, there's a, there's a very famous passage in the Gospels where the sons of De Zebedee, James and John, Remember these guys, the sons of thunder? They're, they're really intense and they tell Jesus what they think all the time. And Jesus goes, okay, guys, it's time to settle down a little bit. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, it's this very famous passage where they ask a question and it shows the condition of their heart. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus and they said, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you for us. Little kind of head scratching moment. And he said to them, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us one to sit at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. What are they saying? Well, in that context, to sit at the right or the left hand of a king was the place of prominence. It's the most important person at the banquet outside of the king himself. So they're saying, we want to be the most important people in your kingdom, Jesus. And kind of showing their lack of humility, Jesus says, you, don't, you guys, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drank or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, yes, of course we are, not knowing exactly what that meant yet. And Jesus said to them, oh yeah, the cup that I drink, you're going to drink, meaning you're going to suffer, you're going to die. And the baptism which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for the one whom ha has been prepared. And then when the 10, the other disciples, heard that this is what James and John had asked of Jesus, they became indignant at both of them. And Jesus called to them and said, hey guys, okay, you know that those who are considered to be the rulers or the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them. They, they oppress people. They take their positions of authority. They make much of themselves bolstering their own importance and by degrading and demeaning others. They lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It's kind of this idea of like making a dog submit to its master. That's kind of the way that the Gentile Roman rulers were treating folks. Jesus then says this, it shall not be so among you. If you're going to follow me, you're not going to live like this. But whoever would be great among you must be your master, right? And what does it say? You got to be your servant first. And whoever would be first among you needs to be the slave of all. Because, here's the reason, I didn't come to be served, and I'm worthy of all the praise, I'm worthy of all the worship, I'm worthy of all the service, and my position, my model is to humbly serve other people. I didn't come to, for you to serve me. My whole, my whole thing, my method has been for me to serve you and to, for him to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus' response shows us exactly how upside down this whole narrative is. For the first century Jewish mind, like, yes, Jesus, we are important because we're following the Messiah. We're doing the right thing. So it makes the most sense for us to get the most glory. It makes the most sense for us to have the positions of authority, the positions of power. We want to be important. And Jesus goes, okay, let's be important then. The only way to do that is to serve other people. Because I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. 
So we have to kind of get this into our minds a little bit, that Jesus, who is God, who created everything with the word of his mouth, is willing to come in human form, broken and frail, into our space, into our dirt, live the life that we could never live, in order that he could give us the gift that he had always enjoyed. Relationship with God and complete union with him. He comes not to be served, even though he deserves it. He comes and turns the whole thing upside down and says, if you want to be great, you need to serve others. And if he, Jesus, is so great and eternal and is willing to serve, how much more should we, his servants, be willing to serve under this king's rule and reign? Oswald Sanders, in the absolutely amazing book, Spiritual Leadership, says, true greatness, true leadership, is found in giving yourself in service to others, not in coaxing or inducing others to serve you. This is actually why the disciples were so kind of taken back by that. Then later on in the life of Jesus, he actually takes it further. In John chapter 13, this is, this is uh, seen as the, the upper room discourse. It's a, a, a slew of chapters where Jesus kind of teaches the disciples about all the things that they are going to do. And as he's preparing them, as he leaves in the upper room uh, at, the, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, knowing that the Father had, look at the wording, had given all things into his hands. He owns everything. He's got all the authority that he had come from God. He was going back to God. Jesus rose from supper and decided to tell them all how great he was. No, he took off his outer garment, he took a towel, he put it around his waist, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, who has all the authority because he's God, sets the example of, hey guys, I, I, I own it all, and so um, I'm actually going to make much of you now. I'm going to put you in the position of prominence. I'm going to serve you because this is what I want you to do. Later on in John 13, he says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments again, he resumed his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done to you? If I'm so worthy of praise, if I'm so willing to serve you, then of course our response is to understand that we are no more valuable than anybody else, that we don't actually get to take the position of prominence over any other human being. Because if Jesus, the preeminent and ultimate human, is willing to serve the, the dirty feet of fishermen, how much more should we be willing to do the same? The greatness of Jesus is the greatness of service. And he says this later on, for I've given you an example or a method that you should do just as I have done to you. For truly I say, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. It's the method of Jesus to serve. Uh, over the last 18 months, I've been doing a leadership program called Arrow Leadership Development. Uh, it's, it's been remarkably helpful for me. It's also been very challenging in some regards, but it's, the, it's an idea of Jesus-centered leadership, that we are to be led more by Jesus as leaders, we are to lead more like Jesus as leaders, and we are to lead more people to Jesus as leaders. That's kind of the mantra, the, the, the method that they take. It's very Jesus-centered, it's very sacrificial, and it's, it's this idea of how can I be so with Jesus that the only thing that could possibly come out of me is doing the things that Jesus does and by extension, those people that I'm serving will then want to know who Jesus is. 
That's kind of their, their method. Steve Brown, who's the president of Arrow, says this. There's the mind-boggling majesty of the creator expressed as fragile creation. That's that Philippians chapter 2 idea. Then this is the John 13 idea. There's the one worthy of worship on his knees with a towel in hand, serving others by cleaning their dirty feet. Do we really get that? That we're no more valuable than anybody else. As leaders, we need to take on this upside-down kingdom nature from Jesus to not coax others into serving our ideas or our agendas, but instead to find how they can best serve inside of God's idea and God's agenda. How can we lift others up as leaders to invest in them in such a way that they can make their best kingdom contribution to God's efforts in the world? That's what servant leadership is. I use this phrase all the time with our worship team as people are, are joining the worship team, they, they're auditioning. Um, I'll have, they, they send me an audio or a video of themselves doing uh, whatever instrument or thing that they're, they're auditioning for and then I kind of have a conversation with them and I'll say, so why do you want to do this? Help me understand. And sometimes I've had people say, well, I, I just really love worship. I'm like, great, me too. And, question mark, what's the next part? Because the purpose isn't to be on the stage and have our five minutes with Jesus. I don't care about this thing at all. We care about serving our community. And so I say to our volunteers, it's not your job to serve me, it's my job to serve you. You don't work for me, I work for you. I'm the one who's here full time, I'm the one who, who gets paid to kind of do the ministry thing. And it's my job to ensure that I can make it easy for the people who serve on our team to do their best work without having to question whether or not it's gonna, if they know what they're gonna be playing or when it's coming to them. And I'm not perfect, of course not. But that's the mentality that we take as a whole church. I hope that you understand that. That as you serve under one of our leaders, it's not your job to serve them. It's our job to serve you. Leadership should never be self-exalting. It should never be a tool to climb a ladder of successes. Servant leadership in the model of Jesus should be how can I help other people make their best contribution to his work in the world? And then here's the third thing with healthy servant leaders. It's the multiplication of Jesus. This is the discipleship portion. And the word that's behind this is intention because it takes effort. We have to intentionally give ourselves to this because servant leadership only succeeds when Jesus-focused leaders are multiplied. It's not enough just to have one leader, right? Like, just let's, let's forecast into the future a little bit. Pastor Charles leaves and there's no other pastors on staff. How confident are we going to feel? Probably a little less than, right? Not because we don't trust God, not because it's not, we don't believe that God is going to continue to bless the efforts of the church, but I, I want to make this very clear, and this is not at all to be, to be discouraging. West Park is not Charles's church. It's Jesus' church. But the intention behind leadership means that we are going to spend our lives in building others up so that the mission of God is not predicated or dictated by one individual person. It's we together are multiplying the efforts of Jesus in the world as he sets the example of how we ought to live in both his model of humility and his method of leadership, which is to serve. So a very, very famous passage, it's, it's the Great Commission. This is probably very familiar to most of us. Jesus says, all authority has been given, and heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is your job. 
This is your job as a Christian. Go and make disciples. Interestingly, he doesn't say go find them. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, which is the core to the whole thing. Teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded you being the disciples. Okay? So that's really important. Then he gives them the encouragement. This is the last thing he says to them before he goes into glory. And, I, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. How encouraging. But he says, as he's sending out the multiplication of himself to the world, Jesus says, guys, your job is to go and make disciples in the same way that I have made you into disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit because it's under God's authority that we want to have God's ambassadors to the world. And then he says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. What if this was backwards? What if it said, if it said command them to obey all that I've taught you. Well, it's opposite, right? It's a difference of ideas because commands don't take any time. If I tell my kids who are seven and four, go clean up that mess that's in the upper room because right now I'm sure at our house there's a whole bunch of magnet tiles all over the place because they're building things. And if I just said, go and do that, and I'd never shown them how to do that, they're not gonna know how. The command is easy. It removes the actual position of, of authority because authority is service, and all it is is just being demeaning and domineering. That's missing the point. Jesus says instead, don't command them to obey what you teach them. He says, take the long road. Teach them, which takes a lot longer. Jesus was with these guys for three years, and they still weren't doing it right. Teach them slowly. Take the long view to obey the things that Jesus has commanded them. It's the example of the leader following the true leader that we should be trying to follow. See, leaders aren't supposed to be making little versions of themselves. In a Christian context, as servant leaders, we are supposed to be making disciples who follow Jesus as we help them along in that path. So a healthy servant leader doesn't exalt themselves and say, I'm the greatest, I'm the best leader, just follow my example. No, he, he adds the Pauline caveat. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Take the long view. Teach them to obey. Over the last number of weeks, I've been asked on a number of occasions by some of our young men in our church, would you mentor me? Sure, I'd love to have that conversation with you, but I want to know what that means. Because if it's just about me giving them more Bible knowledge, I don't actually have a whole lot of interest in that. I, I, have, a, I have some, because I think it's important that we know the Bible, but I'd rather that be a transformative experience for the people. That I could help them point them to Jesus. Not commanding them, well, you need to believe this, and you need to believe this, and you need to believe this, and you have to think this way, and you've got to do this. There's a place for that but it's taking the long way. It's walking alongside. It's not commanding them to do something and then walking them away and leaving them to their own devices. Instead, leadership or servant leadership of a spiritual nature takes the long view. In the same way that Jesus took the long road with his disciples, we are now to look to Jesus as the example of how we are to live our lives in service and humility to others. And then as we do so, help others to become mature in their faith so that they can guess what? lead other people to serve and humbly serve and love Jesus. We're to do the things that Jesus does in the way that Jesus tells us to do them, knowing this part. I'm with you. 
Leadership is a tremendous gift, but it's also a tremendous burden. And for our leaders who serve us so well, for if, you, if you're in an area of ministry in our church or you're in an area of ministry anywhere, maybe you're on the board of a non-for-profit or another parachurch organization, what you do matters. Jesus loves it. He's cheering you on and he's with you in the struggle. Oftentimes leaders just need to be reminded of that. So what are, what are we supposed to do with this? A healthy leader is a person who takes the model of Jesus in humility and serves people in the method of Jesus by placing themselves underneath and giving themselves away and for the purpose of multiplying other leaders. That's what we are about here. That's the church value, servant leadership, demonstrated by creating and, and, and encouraging healthy servant leadership. What can you do? Well, a few things. If you are not in an area of service and you call West Park your church home, can I encourage you to please step out in faith and get involved? Not because I'm asking you to serve us for our benefit. I'm asking you to serve Jesus for his. Whether that's you stand at the door and you, and you hand out bulletins to people or notes as, you, as people come into the doors of the auditorium, or it's you serve in our kids' area and you wipe noses of babies, or you sit with crying infants on your, on your knee and sing them lullabies, or it's you teach uh, alongside of our, our students and take them like Bill and Michaela and Ben have done this weekend and some other volunteers up to a snow camp to invest in the next generation of people to multiply the influence of Jesus. Or maybe it's you just want to serve the, the least of these and come alongside those who are uh, disproportionate or, or they're, they're, they're marginalized or they're outside of what we would consider to be normal, who the hurting people in our world. Whatever it is, get involved. Because Jesus doesn't call us to come and just watch. With the Great Commission, he says, I'm in, because I've got the authority, I'm going to send you as my representatives to the world. I'm going to say this, and it's a little bit cagey. You don't need to serve your church for your church. God is in control here. We believe that. But the benefit, the gift that you will receive as you encourage brothers and sisters in faith, as we together mutually point each other to Christ in service, makes a huge difference because we can then see that this is how we ought to live our lives of faith. We're supposed to do the things that Jesus has asked and called us to do, but we're supposed to do it together. See, healthy servant leadership doesn't look like one guy with all the authority. Healthy servant leadership looks like a whole bunch of people who've been given authority to exercise their gifts in God's way and in God's kingdom. Oftentimes, though, here's where we get, we get a little bit of a snag. As leaders, myself included, absolutely, we can get so autopilot in how we do things and, and kind of the, our own methodology, our own ideas, that we actually negate going to Jesus, asking him to be in the work. It's really, really easy for me to play a bunch of songs on the guitar. I'm a good guitar player. I've been playing the guitar for 20 some odd years. I'm, I'm fairly decent at it. I don't need the spiritual power to just do the task. But if I just do the task without Jesus' investment in it, it's meaningless. It doesn't matter. Who cares? That's unimportant. And sometimes as leaders, we can get so autopilot, so fixated on trying to do the thing that Jesus wants us to do while forgetting that it's actually to be with Jesus that he wants us to do it, that we miss the whole point. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. It is not your business to succeed. It's our business to do right. And when we have done right, the rest lies with God. The rest lies with God. Our job as servant leaders is to, to do everything that we can with what Jesus has given us, entrusted to us, whether it's gifts or talents or if it's uh, a monetary and financial blessing, whether it's, whether it's some specific service opportunity or service focus that you're passionate about. He has uniquely wired that in you to give influence over others for his own glory. It can't be for our own because then we miss the entire point. But if we try and do so by saying, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do, and then hopefully you'll bless it, we miss the opportunity to actually do with Jesus what he's already doing in the world. We're not actually doing leadership anymore, because we're not serving. We're self-exalting. We don't want to be about that here. So the big idea was servant leadership is turning power and influence upside down. That's what Jesus did. Remember that? place in, in Mark. The Gentile leaders, they do it like this. Not so with you guys. You want to be great? You're going to serve others. We need to take a posture of humility in the way that Jesus has modeled it. We need to ensure that we are leading for the right reasons as we serve and under Jesus with his method. And then we need to be intentional about the fact that leadership is not about us. Leadership is about multiplying Jesus's influence in the world through us, most importantly, as we stay connected to him in the good times and the bad times. Servant leadership for us is a value because everything rises and falls on servant leadership. Would you pray with me? And so, Father, we give you ourselves knowing in a lot of ways that we're, we're not capable in our own devices of actually doing anything of lasting importance. But what you have called us to, what you've envisioned for your people is that we would take your example of humility and service and intention and then do it with you as opposed to thinking that we on our own have to do it for you. Jesus, you're the one who's already doing this work in our church, in our world. We don't have to produce anything new. We just have to point people to the one who's done it for us. So Father, would you remind us of your grace? If, if there are people in our church, God, they're, they're saying, I'm never gonna be, I can never be a leader. Help them to understand, God, that they can be humble and they can serve. For those who are in positions of leadership, Father, will we remember this truth that we can do nothing apart from you and that healthy servant leadership starts with a focus on Jesus. Would we be enamored of you? Would we worship you in the good seasons and the bad seasons and the, the wonderful seasons of leadership and the difficult seasons of leadership? Will we worship you and we praise you in this season of transition that we're going in where there is a leadership, you know, there's a, a leadership difference happening? And will we be so committed to you and your work in the world that we would be those people who others would say, these people have been with Jesus. That's my prayer. I pray for your good name's glory and for our own good. Amen.